You're listening to the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. Yes, welcome to our August 2020 episode. I'm Tim Brunero. We'll head to the Hunter Valley soon to hear how union members fund a chopper service saving the lives of miners all over New South Wales. I don't think my wife or myself would have been alive today if it wasn't for the Westpac helicopter. That's coming up in a few minutes' time. But first, let's head to the Bowen Basin in Queensland, inland west of Mackay and Rockhampton, where BHP is rolling out its in-house labour hire company, Operation Services. Just some background on this Operation Services mob. Basically, in a sneaky manoeuvre in 2018, BHP got a small number of iron ore miners in the northwest of Western Australia, the Pilbara, across the other side of the continent to vote on dud agreements they could impose on thousands of miners in the East Coast coal industry. The union has had a number of legal victories over approval of these dodgy agreements, but still BHP keeps making appeals to delay the legal process. Jason Lipscomb is an organiser for the union in Queensland. He explains how OS workers are getting ripped off compared with the conditions most BHP coal miners are on. Wages around thirty to fifty thousand dollars below what other workers are earning at the same site. Uh, they can be moved from any site within Queensland on one week's notice and moved to Western Australia with four weeks notice. There's no accident pay. There's no annual increases in the uh, agreement. There's no defined hourly rate, and uh, these workers can be forced to work uh, Christmas and Boxing Day. Unlike other BHP mine workers, Operation Services workers don't get their flights paid for. With flights from Brisbane to Murrumbah costing five to $600, it can lead to some very unsafe outcomes where workers save money by flying on the red eye to Mackay and busing to Murrumbah. I know of a worker uh, who uh, had an upcoming night shift uh, swing. Uh, they, to get to the airport, they had to be up at 4.30 in the morning uh, to travel to Brisbane airport. Uh, to catch an early flight, an 8am flight out of the airport to Mackay. They then had to wait in Mackay for five to six hours for the, uh, the, the bus that had been organised by BHP to get them to the camp. Uh, by the time they got to the camp, it's a case of dropping their gear off, busing out to the mine to start their, their night shift that night, 12 and a half hour shift. Uh, it worked out roughly that this worker was up for over 24 hours to do their first uh, rostered night shift. BHP like to keep their direct employees separated from operation services workers. They have OS workers uh, cribbing separately to BHP workers at the same site. They camp them in separate locations and they have them working in uh, separate work areas. BHP do not want OS workers to interact and understand how much they're missing out on compared to BHP workers at the same site. While BHP miners get paid a bonus when their pit produces well, Operation services workers don't, so one half of the team is not getting the benefits of everyone's hard yakka. The side agreement uh, bonus uh, in place at Dornier is $16,000, but unfortunately, if you're an op- operational service worker working your best at that site, uh, that bonus system does not apply to you. How would you feel if uh, your hard work for the, that particular site uh, doesn't necessarily equate uh, to financial outcomes for yourself? You only get paid based on an overall annual performance by BHP. Jason points out running alongside the operation services scam is the industry-wide permanent casual rort. With no shame, BHP has tried to compare their operation services agreements 
with casual labour hire, basically comparing a dud deal to a slightly less dud deal. BHP knew uh, that their time was up around the permanent casual rort, so they go out and create their own in-house labour hire uh, business model, uh, which is operational services. You know, annual leave, sick leave still doesn't overcome the fact that these workers are on thirty to $50,000 less than existing side agreements. It's a scam. The workers know it's a scam and the union's going to do their best to fight back and expose this. Jason Lipscomb says he needs operation services workers to get on the front foot and help the union to help them. I'm just calling on all op services workers out there. Go to the Think Fair BHP website, complete the survey, provide us information on what your experiences are as a uh, operational service worker at those particular sites. That information will help us in coordinating our efforts to try and uh, improve working conditions for OS workers in Queensland. Jason Lipscomb bringing you the latest from the Bowen Basin in Queensland. That website again, thinkfairbhp.com.au. You're listening to the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. If you like what you're hearing and you found us via a text, can you copy and paste that text to a mate from a different district? We'd really appreciate it. If you found us via the Common Cause newsletter, forward the link on to a mate. We want to spread the word. Now, we'll head back to Queensland to the new Ackland mine in the Darling Downs a bit later on and hear more from this bloke. We've realised how much the Labor Party has let down regional Queensland and blue-collar workers. So we're going to be actively out there on the streets reminding candidates of all parties about how important it is to remember your grassroots. More from Michael Harton later. But first, let's head to the Hunter Valley for a good news story. It's over 35 years since Northern District members from the Hunter Valley all the way up to the Queensland border started fundraising for the Westpac Rescue Helicopter Service. Of course, 15-year-old Chris Griffiths didn't know any of this back in 2001 when he was trail biking in remote bushland on the mid-north coast and had a sickening accident, breaking the strongest and longest bone in the human body. I had a head-on collision with another motorbike rider. Um, yeah, my friends did panic. Um, they initially thought I was, I was passed away at the time. <laughs> uh, I wasn't moving or anything like that. I had blood all through my, my goggles and helmet. And out of that, mate, I... I uh, I had a fairly fairly bad broken broken femur. Well, I, I did a good job of it. It's the hardest bone in your body to break, and I, I shattered it. So, yeah, and also had parts of my kneecap in my thigh. So that, that's how hard a hit it was, mate. Um, also, too, I, I, I broke my motorbike helmet or split it up, up the centre. So, as you can imagine, it's a, that was a pretty fair hit. Chris, who's now a member of the Lee Lodge west of Foster, was picked up by the Westpac Rescue Chopper to go to Newcastle Hospital. But he was so sick, they had to change plans mid-flight. The Westpac helicopter team came and, and stabilised me best they could uh, and got me on board the aircraft. Uh, and then I was supposed to be taken to the John Hunter Hospital, um, but I, I couldn't be stabilised. So they took me to the Manning base in Taree, uh, where I spent sort of a, a week in intensive care and four weeks in the hospital. What 15-year-old Chris couldn't have known was that if it wasn't for the coal miners, the chopper wouldn't be in the air. The CFME, you guys and girls, uh, have been magnificent supporters of the helicopter for more than 35 years. Um, it really has been quite an incredible journey. Uh, and in fact, it's held very, very in high regard right throughout our community when I talk about the, the coal miners and their contributions to the service. Uh, 
people are just absolutely blown away by the by the quantum and if you add that up it, it, it's um, it's in the multi millions and millions of dollars that the the mine workers have contributed I reckon without a doubt that if it wasn't for the coal miners 35 years ago jumping on board with their support that the service wouldn't be anywhere near what it is today. That's Westpac Rescue Helicopter CEO Richard Jones. Ten years later, in 2010, tragedy struck for Chris again when his wife, Rachel, had a horrific head-on car crash. My wife just left the house um, and no sooner than sort of three minutes I, I heard a loud sort of crash outside. Um, yeah, look, I, gut instinct was that something's not right. So I jumped in my car and, and ducked up the road. It was just on dark, so... I sort of couldn't quite make out the vehicle. As I got closer, I, I worked out it was my wife's car that was involved in a in a motor vehicle accident. Um, I, I got to her; she was unresponsive. Um, at this time, I I actually thought she was deceased. That's how bad the accident was. Um, it, it, yeah, it took the emergency services about an hour and a half to cut it, my wife free of the car. Um, and at that time, I could hear the Westpac helicopter uh, in the air above us. Uh, sort of coming to land and just hearing that noise was a was a sort of sense of relief of knowing that you know you've you've got some of the most highly trained experts on board that aircraft um, that are there and and about to help out with the situation. Rachel's injuries were horrendous she'd broken both ankles and both wrists. Uh, After arriving at the hospital uh, and my wife spent 12 hours in surgery um, the doctors initially said to us we we don't know how this is going to work out um, and in that time, in that month, mate, uh, my wife was unresponsive. Uh, yeah, as you can imagine, a lot of thoughts going through my head. Um, a lot of ones for the worst of the worst case scenarios. And after eight months in hospital learning to walk again, she was back on her feet. These are the stories the people at the Westpac Chopper Service hear every day. Look up their website and you'll see their workload. One morning, they'll take a four-year-old girl with a snake bite from Tenterfield to the Queensland Children's Hospital. Then in the Arvo, a 19-year-old fella who fell from a cliff at Yamba to Lismore Base Hospital. And that night, a bloke with head injuries to Tamworth from Guyra. But of course, they're at the high-profile jobs that get beamed around the world as well. Like when the coal ship Pasha Bolka ran aground 13 years ago in Newcastle. It was just a horrific day here in Newcastle, as everyone uh, well knows, the... uh the coal ship Pasha Balka came around the, the headland there at, uh, at, at Nobbies and, and grounded itself on, on the beach. So the police requested us to, to extract uh, the 20-odd seamen off that boat. Uh, we actually had a brand-new chopper. Well, not brand-new, but it was new to us. Uh, it was the first job it did in anger. It was actually the Tamworth-based machine. It was swinging through Newcastle. It, it went out there uh, after our other machine had been called away to a, a car in a creek up the valley. So it, it lifted about 20 seamen off the, um, off the boat. Uh, the pilots just fixed their eyes on a, on a particular spot. They can hover there and that, the attention worldwide for the service um, was just incredible and for all for our partners. So one of the crew, Glenn Ramplin, um, every time he hit the deck, there was static electricity that built up through the, the blades of the helicopter. And every time his feet hit the deck on 20 occasions, he got a massive jolt of electricity through his body. So. Poor old Glenn was spent after that. The service has come a long way from its humble beginnings. It started in New Zealand, the concept, and was brought over to Sydney in 1973. And then in 1975, the Newcastle and the Hunter uh, region uh, uh, commenced. 
Uh, it's a completely voluntary service. There was one paid pilot back in the day and, and the machines were extremely rudimentary. In fact, if you even um, know, and I'm sure everyone does know, the, uh, the MASH television series, that, that, that was a Bell 47 where there was pods on the side. And that was indeed the first helicopter that was um, procured by, by this organisation. And I always sort of jokingly say that if you weren't sick when you got on that pod, you certainly weren't, weren't the best shape when you got off. But that's what it was in the day, and technology has certainly taken us to a, to a whole new level now. Things are much different today. Very big, very safe. They're actually built for the oil and gas sector. Um, they're about seven tonne aircraft, and there's lots of room. So in the old days, we used to, uh, they call the scoop and run method so if someone was in the field uh, in a farming accident or a motor vehicle accident they'd actually get the patient on board as quick as they could and get them back you probably all heard about the golden hour well now the machines are that good and they carry that much equipment you're actually taking the the icu out to the patient so they're spending more time on the ground because they have more equipment and certainly more skill and the mission hours are longer but the patients are getting onto the aircraft when they're a lot more stable, if that's the, the right term. So the aircraft are worth about $16 million each. Uh, there's a $2 million fit out in the back, medical fit out. We have four in Northern New South Wales and another organisation covering the South have eight. And they are all identical. And the, and the reasons for that are what they call interoperability. So a paramedic in Wollongong, if he is uh, or she uh, deployed to Newcastle or Lismore or Tamworth, everything, even the glove holders are in the same spot. So. It reduces the risk and aviation is all about, like most industries, particularly mining, it's all about reducing the risk to as low as practically possible. So they are world-class machines. There's so much goodwill in the Northern District for the Westpac Chopper Service. Matt Dodd is Vice President of the Mount Thorley Walkworth Lodge. He lives near Maitland. He's one of the people behind the annual Westpac Rescue Helicopter Service Charity Football Day, where teams from all over New South Wales compete for glory. Originally, we just started off in the Hunter Valley, the Upper Hunter, uh, but it's slowly started to progress. Uh, we've got some Mudgee teams, some teams from Narrabri, down to the south coast, uh, and now even Queensland teams wanting to have a crack at the competition. The league day has evolved over the last seven years. We started off with a knockout comp, uh, but the competition continued to grow and grow and grow. We started off with quite an, a minor number of teams, but now we're ending up with 20 plus teams in the comp. So we make it a pooled and round robin competition. Uh, teams go onto the semi-finals and onto the grand final and someone walks away the winner. And while coal miners have traditionally looked after each other, no matter what lodge or region they're from, there's no quarter given or asked for after the whistle blows. There's been some very, very dominant teams uh, that have played well throughout the competition with some ex-NRL talent throughout it. The Ashton Wombats, they've been very strong with players like Jesse Royal and Regan Tanner. And then you've got Ozstar, who have had Terence Susu. Um, you've got Wombo Wolves, who have been strong over the years, and they happened to get a win last year at the grand final. And Ravensworth have also been a strong team throughout the competition. And as Matt says, there's certainly plenty of talent on the paddock. The NRL or the ex-NRL talents uh, quite hefty throughout competition and it actually becomes quite competitive once the whistle goes. You've got players like Jesse Royal, Liam Foran, Jack Appamasaga who played for the Storm, Eels and the Sharks, Terence Susu, um, Adam Clydesdale and uh, Regan Tanner just to name a few. 
Last year's grand final was a cracker. Yeah, look, there's been a lot of great moments over the years, but I'd say probably one of the standouts would be last year's grand final, the Wombo Wolves finally getting their the shield. Uh, they've been a dominant team throughout the the past three or four years, and they've only just missed out on the cherry quite a few times. So to see them boys get the win over the previous year's winners, the Bengala Badgers, was pretty epic. And it's no small money spinner. The dollars raised are large. In the past six years, coming into our seventh, now we've raised $412,000 for the competition. Uh, last year being the biggest one, being 120000 So each year we keep eclipsing our, our mark, and hopefully we can go one step further this year. Matt says it's a great day, so put Saturday, November 7 in the diary. November 7th, it's been moved back so it doesn't clash with any competitions. So get down to Perchette Park Singleton on November 7th. There's a kid's fun zone. There's plenty of stuff to do for the whole family and you'll see some cracking footy. Matt's not the only one raising money for the life-saving service. Chris Griffith, who owes everything dear to him to the chopper service, organises an annual golf day at Wingham Golf Club near Taree to raise money, with 80-odd players battling it out through the day. So it's an 18-hole, four-person Ambrose, shotgun start, uh, and it's also a family fun day. So we we try and get all the family involved as well. So we have two rounds of uh, 18 holes, uh, both in the morning and in the afternoon. It's a fun-packed day for the family, organised by uh, my wife and myself. We've got live bands, jumping castle slides, petting zoo, pony rides for the kids. All money is raised, goes directly to the Westpac service. And these coal miners' charity work and the weekly payroll deductions from all coal miners aren't missed on Richard Jones. And special relationship is an absolute correct term. Um, in fact, the, the CFMEU have a position on our board of directors and, and we're delighted to have had some wonderful uh, contributors from, from the mining Mining Union. Uh, look, I think it's one of those things. I've been to plenty of mine sites and talked to the guys and girls and thank them for their contributions. You know, and, I, and, and the big old secretary will say, mate, I'm happy to give you five bucks a week, but I never ever want to see you on my mine site. And of course, he's saying that with the greatest of intention. He's happy for, you know, for me to come along and say thank you, but he never ever wanted to see the chopper at the mine site because generally they're only there for, a, for an incident. We have been doing quite a few safety um, simulations with mines rescue teams on that always works really well and it's good for our teams to be aware of what to do and what not to do on mine sites but look the financial contribution and the best wishes that we get and coal miners throughout this region have have proudly said for years that yeah that little angel is uh is in the sky should we ever need them uh but they're also happy to to put out there that you know they're supporting the wider community with their contributions and it is the single biggest donation we get every year is from the coal miners of this region. So I couldn't thank them highly enough there. And I know a lot of them through my footy days and I still cop a bit of grief when I go onto a mine site, but it's all good-hearted. It's great banter and, uh, and they've become an integral part of, uh, of our community and certainly our service. You know, as, as mining, of course, was, you know, started around the Lake Macquarie area, and this is a bit of history, around, you know, the lake and the Lower Hunter. And then as, as mining moved up to where it is now, right through the Gunnedah Basin and beyond, it was really was the coal miners of this region that that realised that they were moving further away from primary health care, so it was even more important that the helicopter was funded to a greater level so that in the old days that we could afford better equipment. And in fact, um, we had a massive um, input from coal miners uh, and the union way, way back, which gave us the opportunity to actually have a second machine here, which wasn't under contract, 
But you know what? If one was broken, we could just roll the other one out. And we actually crewed that second machine at a significant cost, but the miners were very, very comfortable in supporting that, uh, as was the, the rest of the community. But it all started with the coal miners of this region. And, well, and we couldn't thank that, that industry, and particularly the union members, uh, highly enough. It's, ju- it's just been a magnificent relationship. That's Westpac Rescue Helicopter Service CEO Richard Jones. You're listening to the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. The perfect thing for those long drives, just whack your phone on speaker or Bluetooth it into the dash and bring yourself up to speed with what's happening in the industry. Okay, let's head back to Queensland, more specifically to the New Ackland Mine, 180 kilometres west of Brisbane in the Darling Downs, southern Queensland. They've been trying to get approval for 13 years for Stage 3 of the pit, a project which will generate $7 billion. If given the green light, it'll save the 150 existing jobs and create 700 more positions. But due to the delays, they've already lost 150 jobs at the mine and at the Port of Brisbane. And still they're bogged down in the courts. And now they've just lost another 25 jobs being directly affected through these job losses, we're now facing another 25 families leaving our communities. For a lot of these politicians, names like Gumbungee, Moringadan, Oki, they're just names on the map. But to us, they are our areas. They're the areas where we've raised our kids, where we support our local communities and our shops. And to be honest, at the moment, the mood is angry because people just feel like this government just doesn't give us stuff. That's Michael Harton, a new Ackland operator. As you can hear, he's dirty on the Queensland Palaszczuk Labor government because it has the power to approve the project right now, today. He wants the Premier, Anastasia Palaszczuk, to intervene in the court process and approve the mine, just as she did for the giant Adani Carmichael mine in the Galilee Basin further north. For us, it was disappointing to see the government go out of their way and approve Adani, even while they were before the courts even while they did not have any jobs on the line. The Queensland Government and the Labor Government at that show preferential treatment to an Indian-owned company. Here at New Ackland, it is owned by an Australian company mining Australian coal with Australian workers who are actually paying their tax in Australia. But for Michael, it's mostly just the way the whole thing has dragged on. 13 years, can you imagine? It would just be agonising. Well, for us, 13 years is way too long to see an application for a mine to still be waiting. For us, the ALP has probably lost their grassroots. They were once upon a time around to support workers. At the moment for us, it feels like they have actually left and abandoned regional Queensland. And he has a chilling message for politicians of all stripes at the upcoming election on October 31st. For us, you know, we're coal miners. We're not, um, we're not political people. For most of us, all we want to do is just go to work, earn our honest day's pay and come home. But unfortunately, throughout this process, it's been disappointing to see how this government has treated us. So I think we've been left with with the only option of actually going out there and targeting Labor seats because they're certainly not listening to us. So perhaps it's time that these candidates need to listen or get out. Michael Harton, operator at the New Ackland Mine. Okay, well, that's all we've got time for this month. And remember, if you're in the Hunter, the Westpac Rescue Helicopter Service Charity Football Day is scheduled for Saturday, November 7th in Singleton. Head along. Well, thanks for listening. You'll hear from us next month in September. Bye for now.